I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a special guest and a dear friend, a peer, someone that I've learned to lean into. You all know her as the host of the award-winning podcast, The Champions Mojo Podcast. Of course, I'm talking about Kelly Parker Palace. What you may not know, and what I'm curious to hear more about, because I know a lot of this, but I don't know everything, is, is this woman, is she has a deep well of experience in life. She's a former NCAA D1 head coach, an All-American Olympic trials qualifier, current world and national record holder in master swimming. She's a breast cancer survivor and a 9-11 survivor, former Pfizer pharmaceutical senior manager, multi-million dollar entrepreneur, former Playboy magazine model, and now she is the author of a new book. It is Amazon's hot number one new release in swimming, Take Your Mark, Lead, 10 Ways to Lead Yourself and Others Like a Champion. How did you become number one? Because I, I know this book just hit. It's like it just went out and you hadn't even started your marketing. How did, how did you become number one so fast? So it's a surprise and a shock. I, I feel like Amazon has their own uh, algorithms and they push new things. So I that's like we were hiding the fact that this book came out. So I didn't want to, I wanted to get a copy of it in my hands first, like seeing, and it's it's a substantial book. It's glossy cover, so you can't see it, but it's 300 pages thick. And I wanted to make sure before anyone bought it that it looked good. So I had to put it on there and then have it shipped to my house. It took about seven days. And in that seven days, my book layout guy emailed me and he said, did you know you're number one on new releases? And so I think that it's just, uh, I think it's the algorithms that Amazon pushes new books to new, like the book buzz. And so they like, okay, here's a new swimming book. Let's take stock and just say congratulations. That, Thank that's you. very cool. But not a surprise. Yeah. Not a surprise. I should. I, I. I. For some reason, I'm not surprised because it's. Um, here's the thing. It, it's. I, I love the design of the cover. And, and for those of you who are listening uh, in, on the podcast, not watching the video, it's a weighty book, well designed, looks fantastic, and of course that that title is enticing. So if I am sitting and I'm coming up. This is, you know, a lot of people taking vacations or they're taking weekends or they're taking time with their family and they're, they're going to have time to read a book. Yes. Uh, what's that? What's that 60 second? Hey, this is the book you need to read and why? Well, I had 50 beta readers for this book and they all truly loved it. And they said they described the stories as fascinating and they're not just my stories. I took my most fascinating stories and I put them with leadership lessons but the difference in this book is it's it's not just someone telling a story it's got 40 pages of bibliography of research and science so it's kind of the combination of here's a fascinating story about me when i had breast cancer and had four shots in my my nipples here's a story about 911 when i thought you know i'm on the 36th floor and i thought i was going to be hit by a plane. Um, here's a story about Bob Bowman, who almost quit coaching. Here's a story about what Jack Bowerly does to be successful. Here's how Leah Smith thinks through a mile. And this, these are stories that then I took those 
distilled the science behind those. And at the end of each chapter is a lead yourself and lead others. So it's really, um, it's very easy to read. And it was a book that I wanted, you know, as someone who's got a master's degree, I wanted a book that, yeah, you can read the story and then you can get a real lesson without the dry, hard, okay, here's how to be successful. You know what? I, I, I'm fascinated by books that are well done and well constructed and that sort of capture everyone's imagination. And they also, they feel like they're urgent. Um, bravo on, you know, take your mark lead 10 ways to lead yourself and others like a champion, because that's something that you're going to pick up and you're like, this is consumable. I can read one of the ways, you know, I can, I can sit down and read one of these ways. And I, and I love how they're constructed when, as you say, it unpacks it at the end of the chapter and you make it, you know, you, you, you don't just get this message, but you get a, you get a way to integrate it into your life. Um, <clears throat> Did, did, did you know you were going to construct the book that way uh, ahead of, or did that happen in the process? It happened in the process. I've been kind of writing this book for about, I don't know, a couple of decades, but really hardcore during the, of course, during the pandemic. And then about 10 years before that, and the way it, it kind of came about was that, um, you know, I, I'm just truly a very average person. I mean, I, you know, never really was much of a student. I was kind of a bubble-headed cheerleader who nobody took very seriously. If you think of Legally Blonde when her she's in the pool and she's telling her parents she's going to go to Harvard and they go, oh, honey, you were Miss uh, Hawaiian Tropic. Well, I was Miss Hawaiian Tropic. And, you know, it's just like I was. And so it's kind of like just I wanted to say, wow, how did I do all this stuff? I mean, my life has had many horrible failures and really messy things. But how did I become, how did I build a, a multi-million dollar business? How did I get seven promotions in Pfizer? How did I do these things that made me a success? And I thought, I want to share these with anyone. I want anyone. They don't have to have been an athlete to be successful. They just take these tenants and these strategies, whoever you are, and you can use these to reach your goal. And, and it also teaches you how to go through some real crap. I mean, you know, there are some um, cautionary tales in the book and things. So, so it really was just, uh, you know, I'm a coach at the end of the day, but the, the structure of the way that came about is once I, you know, I think when you have a lot of life lessons, people ask you to coach them. And so I became an executive coach, got certified over about two years ago. And I've been working with, um, surgeons. I have two surgeons that I'm coaching. I have an Olympic coach that I'm coaching. Um, I have, professional athletes. And so what I've found is that people make the biggest changes in their life when they take on that persona, that person that um, eats healthy, that person that isn't a smoker, that person that gets up early. So I made these chapter titles to be really uh, creative. So there's, you know, the, the habit hacker, the peak performer, the success celebrator, the reflective thinker. So they're all around personas, which makes the stories more fun. Like here's, here's Cody Miller. He's a success celebrator. I don't know if you swimmers remember this. My favorite part of almost my favorite part of all of 2016 was watching Cody celebrate next to Adam Peaty, who had just kicked his butt. But there's Cody just going nuts, thumping, pump, fist pumping, yahooing. Well, he did set the American record. He did just make the four by, you know, 100 medley relay. He's celebrating in the space of what some people would say, you know, if you're not first, you're last. But that's wrong. So 
there were just so many things that I had to say, and it just all came together as the book came together. I think that you've answered my next question, but I, I still want you to double down on it. And it's, um, you answer the why. Why is this book different than a lot of books written by champions? Yeah, I mean, you know, I just read Elizabeth Beisel's book and I love it. It's a great book, highly recommend it. It's so different. So if you're looking like she's a champion, she's got her stories, they're inspirational, they're motivational. And my book is different than those types of books where champions say, you know, um, and Gary Hall Sr. just wrote a great book. Um, any, any of these <clears throat> amazing champions like you, Mel, maybe, I'm sure you have a book in you um, or two. Uh, any of the, you guys who went to the Olympics, you're just, um, you're like these gods to us. And um, so I'm thinking that my book is different because I'm really a regular gal. I'm really just like, I'm just one of the peeps in the, in the trenches here. Um, and I, the, the, I think the science behind it at the end of the day, you know, I come from a family of doctors and lawyers and I could not produce a book in my family and have my brothers. So I have three brothers and my dad, who's an attorney say, well, that's just what you think, but where's the science? So I really, um, I really think that it's different where I want to hear experiences from champions like you and Elizabeth and Gary Hall and anybody who's writing a book like that. Um, but I also want to hear stories from kind of average people who are just really succeeding and how that happened. So um, that's the, I think that's the difference. Sounds like you were in the lab for a long time. I was so in this, the lab for a long time. Years in the making. And, but you did, there were a lot of people and, and you're, 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 you, you mentioned Gary Hall senior. Uh, and I've, and I've asked him, so, okay, when did you, you know, when did you really drill down and, and deliver your manuscript? And he's like, I did it during the pandemic. A lot of people didn't use that quiet. The pandemic has been horrible. It has. It's also been a gift. And, and it, it, it's a, it was a time for us to look inward and it sounds like you went there. So, uh, I know it's years in the making, but you know, how did it come about? Um, well, the initial part was when I went from being, you know, a swimmer into being a, a division one coach. And I just started very slowly, you know, in swim at NC state. And I was, I was okay. Um, you know, I was an all American in the mile, which didn't really afford me a lot of relay titles or anything. I swam twice on the 800 free relay. So I was a three-time all American. I hit it once in the mile and then twice in the 800 free relay with Beth Emery and Amy Lepping and some of these really amazing studs, um, rest in peace, my dear Beth. Marie, um, who passed away, but she was, you know, an NC state 22 time all American sprinter. And so then once I got into coaching, I just built my way up, um, again, breaking glass ceiling. I did not know that I was the first woman head coach in the Southeastern conference until Jack Bowerly told me that. And so Jack's like, Kel, when we saw a lady coming in. So, so once I went from kind of, again, not, you know, never, never being tremendous as a division one head coach, we were okay. We had, you know, I think we had two or three top 25 finishes. My highest finish ever in the sec was uh, seventh. So, you know, I wasn't really doing great things there, but still being a division one head coach, I'm not going to say that that is not a, a very good uh, quality accomplishment, but not again, nothing like, you know, gold medal Mel or, or some of the, the real champions out there. But uh, so then 
when I went into Pfizer, so I had to leave coaching. I loved coaching. We were about to have our best year ever. Our, t- our recruiting class at the University of South Carolina uh, was um, coming up as I think we were ranked top 10 by the College Swimming Coaches Association. We had a really huge class coming in. And then um, we had a suicide in our family. And my brother, my oldest brother, I'm very close with him. He lost his wife uh, to suicide and left him with a five, six and eight year old child. And so I went home to spend the summer with them. I told my, my athletic director, Hey, I don't have a lot of kids training with me this summer. I I need to go home and be with my brother. And I started doing baths and swim lessons and soccer programs. And when the fall came back around, it was just almost impossible for me to leave those kids. And so I left. And then, um, he was my, my athletic director, Mike McGee was, who had just come there from USC was very understanding. And he said, um, I have a suicide in my family. And I think if all of us, you know, would speak up about that, I think many of us do. And it's kind of a, a hard topic to say, but it is the end result of untreated depression. Um, and I, I and I'm going to have to give a plug here because, um, depression is real. We have it in the swimming community. It's the unforeseen, uh, the un what is the, the, the group on Facebook? Uh, it's the unforeseen opponent. Anyway, uh, we on champions mojo, our podcast, we have the champions mojo forward slash toolkit, which is a great toolkit for anyone listening that knows anyone with depression. You don't have to be an athlete. So I left coaching. Um, I went into Pfizer. So after I left coaching and I spent a year with my brother, I'm like, gosh, I need a job. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? So, um, I, uh, got hired by Pfizer, just they happened to be opening areas. Someone said, oh, you need to go into pharmaceutical sales. What was interesting is I had been an assistant coach at the University of Arkansas under Kent Kirshner and Martin Smith. They both left coaching and went into pharmaceutical sales. So Martin's like, you need to go into pharmaceutical sales. And so I went to Pfizer and I uh, made it through the training, which was really hard for kind of a, you know, not a great student, but I've worked at it. Um, and the VP there said, uh, you know, we, we were lining up at a reception to meet this VP of sales. And he said, he, everybody was shaking their, his hand and saying what they had done. And they were doctors and pharmacists and captains in the military. And so I got to him and, and he said, so where are you coming from, Kelly? And I said, I was a college swim coach. And he said, Ooh, gosh, that's a stretch. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, my, my VP of sales does not respect the fact that I was a swim coach. I'm going to show him. So I used the tools in this book. And in the next 10 years, I got seven promotions. I got one of the largest sales bonuses in Pfizer pharmaceutical history. And that set me up a lot to be a, a real estate investor, but uh, that's another section of the story. So then that was when, that was the initial point when I'd been in Pfizer 10 years and I said, you know what? And I had people ask you, how did you do this? How Kelly, did you come into Pfizer? Which is, they say the lore is that it's harder to get into Pfizer than it is to get into Harvard. How did you do that? And I said, I used all the techniques that I learned as a swimmer and a coach. And that's what I did. So that's when I thought I got to write a book. And then, and then that was, you know, many years ago. So that's the long and short of the the deep dive, if you really want to know how the book came about, because at the end of the day, I'm a coach. I'm like any of the coaches that I've interviewed, the, you know, umpteen coaches on Champions Mojo. We want to help people. I just really want this message 
that these are the ways that you can make this happen and you don't have to have been, you know, a great swimmer. I'm going to step into this next topic this way. And I, I, I think our audience might appreciate it. So I, you know, my history, you know, the Olympic history, you know, every, people know about the swim swam background. They know about a lot of things, but if I'm in a cocktail party, people say, um, so I heard that you were on Baywatch a few times. <laughs> like, yeah, I was on Baywatch a few times. And you're, uh, you're hot, Mel. That's why <laughs> they're like, so it's, it's like, they, don't, don't ask about the business that, that, that you're running. Don't ask about the, the Olympic medals. Yeah. Tell me about Baywatch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I, and I used to be offended. I used to be offended with if people like get, get these little nuggets about your background and then they ask you about Baywatch. And the interesting thing, thing is that I was, I really enjoyed the experience. And the one thing that I remember about it was I sat with the producers, the writers and the producers. And I found out how much I, I found out how this business worked, their structure, how they managed it, that they had a trajectory in terms of like they'd mapped out, look, we're going to do this. And by season seven, we're going to top out and then it's going to wane. They knew it. And I found that fascinating. That's what stuck with me about that experience. It wasn't actually being in the scenes with Pamela Anderson. It was, it was that. So I have to ask you, Playboy, what did you learn? Yeah. Well, I have kept this, this topic on the down low for decades because I, I'm going to call this the cautionary tale part of the book. And I, I want the book to be uh, read by young people. And so I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to really tell this story. And, and it, 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 Playboy came after me. I mean, that was something that I, I write, if you want the really deep dive, I mean, I, I want to give the swimming version of this because this is a swimming podcast. And then if you want to get the, the nitty gritty, here are the two Playboy guys at the bar that I'm bartending at and how they approach me. And, but my, my very first um, way that I learned, kind of even learned about Playboy is, you know, most of us swimmers are lifeguards. So I'm lifeguarding at a lake right, right outside of Washington, DC. Evidently there's like a, a hunt for playmates. I'm 16 years old. And the, uh, so the standing there twirling my whistle and my little red lifeguard, I think we actually were Navy blue back then, but a lot like your Baywatch uniform, Mel, but, um, and this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, you know, I'm from Playboy magazine. We're in town. We're in Georgetown. We're, we're interviewing playmates. We, we think you would be a, a, a perfect playmate. I said, I'm 16 years old, dude. You know, and I knew what Playboy was, but that was the first time. And then I went home, told my parents and my brothers, and they're like, oh, no, no, that guy was a fraud. That's not real. Nobody's going to approach a 16 year old about being in Playboy. So I just kind of put that on the back burner. And then um, the way that I, the way this comes into the book, like I'm sure a lot of people are like, how does your experience of being in Playboy play into a leadership book? And so as I told you, each chapter, has a persona. So what I'm asking people to do is if you want to be a great leader or you want to lead a great life, you need to take on these 10 personas that I've looked at of all the experiences I've had, both learning terrible failures and, and life's, you know, things that life throws at you, or you want to be a great leader and, you know, create really amazing things in your life. These are kind of the 10 people that you need to be. And so one of this, this chapter comes in as the reflective thinker chapter. So reflective thinkers, chapter nine. So I, I had never, Mel, I had never 
looked at this experience. It was one of those ugly little secrets, like somebody who drinks too much or somebody who, you know, doesn't, uh, it, it was just one of my little secrets that I, just like you, I didn't want to talk about it. No, let's go on to the next subject because I got stung right up front with it. And this is what I'm going to tell you. So I, um, I end up, I, if you want to know why I did Playboy as a cause, I don't know if we'll get there, but, um, I felt like the, reason that I initially went into Playboy was because women athletes at the time were considered to be um, unfeminine and masculine. And I got tired and tired and tired of being told you're too pretty to be an athlete. And I wanted women to go into athletics, but I, I buried this secret because, um, so I was in Playboy when I was 21 and I was also, um, went straight into coaching at the university of Arkansas. So I'm the assistant there. And I'm very ambitious because <laughs> I'm not kidding. When I saw that Kent Kirshner could be a head coach, that was the greatest example of, oh my gosh, if this guy can be a head coach, I can be a head coach. So it was kind of like one of those reverse motivations where you, you see somebody that is just so far above you. You're like, oh my gosh, I want to be like that person. Or you see someone that's in a position you want and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than that person. So I was ambitious to get a head coaching job. So I, I, I did two, maybe three really great years, just totally engrossed in being the assistant coach at Arkansas. Then I applied for the head coaching job at Villanova and I would have been, and I got the job. So I got, you know, I got the job. I had been the recruiting coordinator. I think at that point, Arkansas women had moved into the top 20 and they were doing really well. And I, I got the, the Villanova job. And so I had found an apartment in Villanova and I was supposed to start on, I don't know, I think it was August 1st or something. So the athletic director called me and she said, Kelly, I'm, I'm so sorry to make this call, but, uh, you know, I, I have a Playboy magazine on my desk. And I said, yes. And? <laughs> I think, you know, that magazine's been out for four years. I think I was 25 at the time. So, you know, that magazine's been out for four years. Did you not know that I was in Playboy? It's not something that I'm going to put on my resume to be, it doesn't really, it's not really relevant to me being a great coach and a great recruiter. Um, and she said, oh, honey, this is a Catholic university and you and I will get fried in the press. She said, I, 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 I think we're going to rescind your offer. And I was devastated, Mel. I mean, I was devastated because at the time, you know, I, I had worked so hard to get that head job. And then, you know, I talked to my dad, who's an attorney, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you can own Villanova. You, you know, we, we can have a huge lawsuit against them. And I said, Dad, you know, and he said, but, you know, at the end of the day, loss, no, no one ever wins a lawsuit except the lawyers. And I didn't want to be that girl that, um, you know, oh, gosh, you know, this Playboy girl. So so I buried that like a very deep, painful. That was a that was a huge wound. It was a huge scar um, opened. You know, I got I stitched it up and started to heal. And then a, I, a couple years later, I got the head coaching job at South Carolina, which um, is a, there's a big story about that in there that my biggest opponent to me getting the head job there were my own girls. 
when I was introduced to them on deck as their new coach and my associate athletic director actually said, um, you know, Kelly, Kelly was the most qualified. Not only does she come from a top 20 program, top recruiting coordinator, uh, she was an all American swimmer herself. Um, she had the best resume and was the best candidate for the job. And he actually said the words, we didn't hire her just because she's a woman. Um, my girls were all sitting there cross-armed, you know, just like, and one of the captains spoke up and said, we don't want to swim for a woman. So there were, I was trying to really change, but remember this is 1990. So I, I was really trying to change a lot of perceptions in the right way. And I was just, I was just, it was just unwieldy, you know, like, do I, do I do this by being a woman? Do I do this by not? So, so I was, I was devastated by that. And then my first um, year that I went to the SECs as a head coach, not even knowing that I was the, I didn't even know it at the time that I was the first woman. I, I think it was the Alabama men. I'm just going to say it. It was the Alabama men and we were in Tuscaloosa. So maybe they felt like they were on their home pool deck. They must've had the game that uh, every time you pass the South Carolina coach, you need to make some reference to her being, you know, a Playboy model. Because during that entire meet, I was, um, you know, heckled, if you can call it, uh, for being in Playboy. Some of the guys, it was funny and cute and a little less innocent. And some guys were very direct in what they wanted to do to me. So um, it, was, it was a bad wound. It took time to heal it. I didn't want to talk about it like Baywatch. And so the reason that it comes, comes out in the book, and if you want the details, it is minutely down to the, the actual four-hour photo session with David Chan, who's photographed more Playboy models than anyone, down to the details of Victoria Cook, who was uh, Playboy Playmate of the Year, who did my makeup and things that she said to me. Um, so if you want those details, they're in there. But the reason that it's in the book is because I really believe that it was so cathartic for me to reflect on that story, which I'd never done. It was kind of like saying, okay, I've been drinking alcohol for 40 years and now why am I drinking alcohol? Why did I do it? So that's in there. And then what did I learn from it? What can young people learn from it? And that's all in the book. So that's, that's it, a, Mel. That's a pretty good, un <laughs> that's a pretty good unpacking. And, and, and what I like is that it threads through it threads through a part of our, our history and swim when there the context of uh, there's a lot of misogyny in, um, in, in swimming and in society as a whole. And, uh, but Mel, I, ha I have to interject here that I, in, in writing a book, and I, I, I really encourage people to write their memoirs. They don't have to turn them into a book, but to write them because I found out by writing this that, number one, I, I was the first head coach in the SEC. And then another little stat, which you are going to love, both of us here on our podcast microphones. This is something that my producer told me as she's preparing talking points for, for podcasts and book tours. She said that I am the only female host of a swimming podcast in the top 25. I mean, there may be some little woman in her closet that is, but think about that. The, the misogyny of where do people want to listen to a woman talking about swimming? I frankly, I've said this in the commenter section. I would love to see Elizabeth Beisel replace Rowdy when the day comes, you know, not, not now I want Rowdy to retire and, and I want him to be the Eddie Reese of, of uh, broadcasting, but I would love to see someone with the exuberance and, and of, of a, a female male 
uh, tandem of calling swimming. And if you're listening now, uh, based on, I'm, I'm sure Kelly has, has an inside track and so do I, it appears that, that, that Elizabeth's in the batter box, the batter's box, and that she is also going to be a part of the telecast for NBC this mm. summer at the Olympic games. Trials I had no idea. Well. You had no idea. Yeah. That, that, I, I mean, no I idea. can't, I can't confirm it, but you know, in a podcast, we can, we can talk about we, yeah, what we we're hearing. The background chatter between Mel and Kelly and that we're both hearing is yes. The, so I, th- I find that interesting. I, th- I think it makes you very unique to have the, such a, such a, a varied career and that it all sort of weaves together. And, um, but I want to get back to the book and, and uh, you know, it's interesting that you, your, your own narrative is so rich, but that you also weave in all of the, these champions. So what is the, what is your index of champions? Oh yeah. The, the champions. Um, I, I, I feel like once I started really opening my eyes to the lens of peak performers and that started early, early, like that started at NC state. So, um, my boyfriend of seven years when I was at NC state, uh, went on to play professional baseball for 23 years or yeah, I think it was 23 years. Anyway, uh, major leaguer, all-star, uh, super mentally tough. Like he, he, he's, I call him my mental toughness guru. And there were so many great athletes at NC state that I started like, okay, how is he doing it in baseball? How is she doing it in volleyball? How is, how are they doing it? I was tutoring the NC state, a couple of the NC state basketball players when they won the national title, uh, you know, under Jim Valvano, Jim Valvano was a, a big role model for me and a friend. Jim used to call me into his, the you know, I'd go to the swimming office and Jim would call me into his office and say, Hey, Kelly P, you know, what you doing in the swimming pool? And, you know, he was, uh, gave me a lot of wisdom. And so I started collecting these wisdoms. I've always been a journaler and a journalist. I majored in journalism in college. And so, um, I just thought there's so much happening with all these other people. And then of course, through, oh, then when I went through Pfizer, one of my jobs, which I start the book off with, was I ran the audio show for a 12,000-member sales force. So, so I've been headphones and microphone talking to the executives at Pfizer and just getting these amazing jewels of wisdom from people at the top of a Fortune 100 company. And then uh, I also was a writer for the Force magazine, which went out. So these were motivational. And so then, of course, as a, a swimmer and and looking at all the people that I worked with as a coach swam with, um, you know, I, I remember being on the national sports fest team, going to the U S Olympic training center and swimming with people like Karen Burton and, um, you know, swimming under a Chuck Riggs workout. If that these are really old people, Mel, you probably know them, but, um, Jim and Bev Montrella, you know, like just looking, what are people doing? What are coaches doing? And then just most recently and amazingly is just having, you know, 50 Olympians and all the Olympic coaches on the Champions Mojo podcast. So I took the best stories. Of, uh, in order for a story to make it into this book, it has to be a fascinating story. And Mel, you are on page, let's see here. It's called The Butterflies of Gold. Did you read Did you read your story about you and Mary T? Did you read it? No, I haven't read it. I know <laughs> but, you but haven't. I, but I know the story. I but I know the story. It to you yesterday. Okay, That's so it. you know the story, but... um. You know, Mary T, I, I, I wrote, you can't write a book about champions without talking about Mary T and Mel and what, and your relationship. So we don't want to spoil that story, but I, I, there are stories about Leah Smith. 
and you and Mary T and, and Ray uh, Luz and uh, Matt Biondi as reflective thinkers. So, and Cody Miller. And so I knew that a whole book about my stories would be boring, but if my story is in there, it's pretty fascinating. And if of the hundreds of pod, you know, hundreds of interviews that I've done, uh, I'd say maybe 12 or 15 champions, but the index of champions is a list. I think it's about 178 people from all walks of life that uh, are in the book. And the cool part is if you open the book and you're in the swimming community, just take a chance, just open it and see if your name's in there, because it might be, it might surprise you that your name is in there. I just think the books that are that are written with the narrative thread that you have and in, in which you're turning over these stories, it's um, it's what you're always looking for in conversation or entertainment. Uh, you're always trying to impact the brain a different way to change that chemical, the chemical bounce. And it sounds like you do it to the nth degree, which I love. So, uh, but uh, there, there's things that I didn't know about you. And that, and, and I, I, I didn't know about the, I didn't know about your modeling at a certain point and how that intersected with coaching. And, and that's just fascinating, but I didn't, I, I didn't know about breast cancer because I'd, I'd read up on you and, and that was something that was recent. And, and I, I, I understood that challenge because every, it touches everyone's life. I didn't know about nine 11, nine 11 is just a, you know, that's, that's our, that's our, this generation's Pearl Harbor. Um, can, can you explain that? Yeah. 9-11. And I cannot believe we're coming up on 20 years of it. And you know, this, this September 11th will be the 20 year anniversary. In fact, my, my book publicist, she said, oh my gosh, I've already got three podcasts that want to talk to you about 9-11. So, um, of course everybody, I, I'm assuming people knew what Pearl Harbor is. And, and for, I know we have young listeners that if uh, you don't know what, what 9-11 was, it's just when the planes were flown into uh, the Twin Towers and they both fell down to the ground. And I, and I preface my story of saying that um, I feel terribly that I feel so, um, that I've I've been told by counselors through Pfizer that, yes, oh my gosh, you are a survivor. You are traumatized. You have PTSD. I wasn't in the towers, but I was in another angle that was never covered in the news that I really think needs to be talked about. And maybe that's what we're going to talk about on the 20, one of the things people could talk about on the 20th anniversary. So I'm working for Pfizer in downtown, you know, Manhattan, and I'm on the 36th floor of of my office. And I have a, I have a beautiful office. It looks out on the Chrysler building and uh, somebody comes and knocks on my door at, you know, eight 45 on September 11th and says, Hey, a plane just hit one of the towers and our back conference room table had a huge picture window that had a flawless view. And if people remember the pictures from that day, it was a clear blue sky. I mean, there was zero humidity and you could see for miles. It was like the, the clearest you could see, um, so we had an incredible view of the tower and of the, of the towers. And I'm thinking Piper cub, like if anybody else had hit the tower and it was a gigantic airliner. And when I went to the back window, uh, you know, there was a gaping hole. There was flames of red and smoke and gigantic hole. And everyone, you know, the, the office is now gathering, looking at this. And of course, as we're there, a, the second plane hits just like they wanted. And 
one of my really strong um, staff members, uh, so we're all just just panicked, like, oh my gosh. Uh, he turns the corner and vomits in the closest trash can. So you can't you can't really express what this um, felt like. And we're thinking, so this is a, this is an angle as a journalist, Mel, you'll appreciate this, that was never covered in the news. We are thinking Pearl Harbor. We're thinking, holy crap, is there a plane going to fly into our building? So your adrenaline is just whooshed through the roof. And um, so... <clears throat> We start to see, um, and I, this is the this is the PTSD because um, if I talk about it or I see images of the towers, it brings this, and um, we start to see the people leaping out of their offices. And at the time, we didn't know exactly what they were, but we're like, "What is that?" And so um, I write this story up as the first chapter to hopefully grab and the reader. And I talk about the leadership that my own, um, my own leader there, my boss, Everton Cranston, how he handled that. We had to, we had to run down 36 flights of stairs. I ran from there to my downtown, you know, apartment. I grabbed my running shoes and my backpack and, it talks about what I saw. I tried to go to Penn station and saw people coming covered with ash. Um, and you know, I watched the second tower fall from the top of my apartment building and felt the rumble and all of us there thought, Oh my gosh, we're going to get covered in ash. Um, then I'm told that we can't leave the Island and there's rumors of bodies piling up and a health hazard. And so I'm, I, I've suffered and anybody who's listened to my podcast knows I've suffered on and off with them. Um, anxiety and panic disorder. So I'm in full panic. I can barely breathe. I can't eat. Um, and I start hiking off the Island and it tells my, my eight mile trek to LaGuardia airport, my 12 hour drive back to my parents' house. Um, so it, it's a lot of details in there, but I was a total survivor of that. And, and people that I ran into on the way, I made friends with a guy that you know, I took a break and sat down on a park bench and uh, held the hand of a man who just lost his best friend who was on the 101st floor of one of the towers. Um, but it's, you know, it's uh, it's something that, again, I don't think I would have gotten through it as much without these tenants that are in the book. And I, I, I break down the leadership that my boss and Pfizer did after that. And so, Mel, and that, you know, I got to lighten the mood here. The, um, they let us work from home for a couple of weeks after that. So I went back to Virginia and they let us work from home. And, and, and one of the things that I did to kind of get myself centered again was when I went back to Virginia, I swam with the master's group in Virginia. And it was kind of like my little solitude of, Oh, I can breathe. I, you know, I'm with my peeps, I'm in the swimming pool. But, um, so the, this was before work from home, but I go back to New York and Everton Cranston, my boss knows that I'm a panic person anyway. So he knows, okay, I, I need to break this to Kelly kind of gently. So he comes in my office, closes the door behind him. And I know something's up. He leans against the door and he says, Kelly, um, I need you. So he had told us to collect our personal belongings and meet. And we left when the nine 11 happened. So this is a couple of weeks later. And he says, um, I need you to just be calm, but I want you to get your laptop and your, your, uh, your purse and, and we're going to get out of here. And I said, Oh God, Everton, what's going on? He said, we don't know that it's the case, but, um, 
just back away. You know, you, uh, we have we have an anthrax threat in the building. So you remember after 9-11, and a lot of the youngsters don't remember, there were tons of anthrax threats. Well, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, of course. So I'm looking at my mail on my desk thinking, oh my God, <laughs> now I've got anthrax. So um, it was, a, it was a, a tough time. Yes. Uh, it sounds like you were, obviously you were close to the epicenter of that. And it, it's uh, the funny thing is that we, my wife and I were in Los Angeles at the time. Our daughter was a baby. She was born. She was a kid who was born in the year 2000. But the feeling around my, my, my father-in-law called and said, turn on the television, we're at war. And I'm sitting there with my jaw hanging open. And he's like, you're in Los Angeles. And my thoughts are, yeah, they're going to hit the big cities next. And I grabbed cash I grabbed my wife and my kid and we drove north out of the city. Smart. Yeah, you, it, we, it, we, we, were, we, thought, we thought this was the war that was starting and, then, and this was the new normal. We didn't know if it was, yeah, it was, it was a tough time. And it seems so weird, but it also seems so immediate. It doesn't seem like it's that long ago. I love that you begin with, this is, uh, this is where the knife hits the bone. And I, I want to introduce you to who I am. And this is this is it, with this experience because it, it it does tell us a lot. And I and something tells me that it, it's beautiful that that it weaves through swim. Like I, I really love the fact that um, your solace and your peace is you find your peeps with your master's team in Virginia. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Through through everything through caring for my mom with Alzheimer's through breast cancer through swimming. I mean I I. Uh, said the, the word swim is in this book 270 times. So we're on the right podcast. <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening and you haven't listened to the Champions Mojo podcast, shame on you. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. You need to invest your time. We're going to put a link into this post when we post on Swim Swam. Also, guys, you got to pop over to Amazon. It's already the number one seller in swimming. Take your new mark. releases, new releases in of, swimming of new releases in swimming. And, 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 and it's climbing the, the regular swimming. So they have new releases in swimming and regular. I think this morning when I checked in just swimming, so we're talking all swimming books. We were number four this morning. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I know out of like, I don't know how many there are, but like a lot of like, we didn't say Mel that Bob Bowman wrote my foreword. I know. How do, how do we get through the entire podcast? I mean, like the greatest coach of all time yeah. wrote the yeah. forward. You know, he's, well, he's, uh, I know you guys are buddies and, I, and I'm glad that, that he honors you with that moment. And that's, uh, I've, I knew Bob when he was coaching age group kids and uh, in Las Vegas gold club and his, the head coach was David Marsh and um, his trajectory to success is enormous. And he has the, I just, I, you're in good company. You're in really good company. Yeah, I, I love, love it. Bob, Bob's amazing. Take your mark lead. Remember that title, take your mark lead 10 ways to lead yourself and others like champions. You want this book. This is a great book to have on your nightstand just to, you know, you can consume one of the ways each night, or if you're taking a vacation, you're going to go to the beach, you can read it there, or it could be a nice gift for that right person who needs this sort of instruction and guidance. What a wonderful gift. Guys, Kelly Parker Palace. 
She is the lady of the hour. And I'm sure she's going to come back probably when you're a national bestseller. We'll have a celebration <laughs> moment. Do you have any parting thoughts? Just, you know, if, if you like the book, I worked so hard on it for so many years. I just love to hear that. You know, it's like we're still athletes at the end of the day. And we like the pat on the back, like, hey, good swim. You get a medal or something. And that just means leave me an Amazon review if you like the book. That's I'd love the swimming community to get behind it and, you know, and support the book if, if they like it. So it just means more people buy it. And the more people that buy it, the more people that are going to be inspired and can achieve their dreams. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.